ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونستهديه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى وعلى اله واصحابه ومن تبعهم باحسان الى يوم الدين وسلم تسليما كثيرا او praises due to allah we praise him we seek allah's forgiveness and we ask allah's assistance and we seek refuge in allah from our evil souls and our bad deeds verily whomever allah guides to islam no one can lead astray and whomever allah allows to go astray because they do not want any guidance then no one can guide and i bear witness that there is no god worthy of worship except allah alone with no partners and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave and his messenger may allah send his peace and his blessings upon him his companions and all those who follow them on their righteous path until the day of judgment brothers and sisters in islam i remind myself in you of having taqwa of allah fearing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way he deserves it by doing the obligations and staying away from the prohibitions i am sure when you read the title of this particular lecture you must have felt that it was strange right where is allah it's a strange thing nowadays but what is more strange than that is the fact that people think it is strange i will repeat you read the title where is allah what is this guy talking about this is weird why would someone discuss this i've never heard this before so you thought it was strange but what's really strange is the fact that you feel strange because that particular question is actually based on a question that was asked by the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam you think i'm joking no you may say maybe the hadith is weak it's a weak narration i say no you know imam muslim in the sahih the hadith is there in the sahih of abi dawood it's there and nasa'i it's there in al iman for ibn abi shayba it's there ihya al sunnah li ibn abi al asim it's there these are all books of narrations and this particular narration is there this question where is allah was actually asked by the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he made that he asked that question so that's why that question is really not strange but what is strange is that we feel strange when we hear today because the muslims except a small minority have not really been introduced into the creed or the belief system which the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was upon along with his companions in the four aimma and others we have not depending on which country you come from usually matters of aqida are not dealt with in school or during or even at the masjid you may go to quran tahfiz and things of the sort but no one would really teach you these things Now ironically 
This is one of the most important things in a human, in a Muslim's life. Knowing these things. It is very essential that we know these things. Because knowing that deals with our knowledge of Allah. And if you were with us last week, we said that the only way the, the Ummah will rise again, the only way the Muslims will rise again and be honored among the other nations is when we re-establish our relationship with Allah. We have to return to Allah. And we said we cannot return to Allah unless we know who Allah is. We might have some minor information, but there's a lot more to learn. Many more things to know. So this is why this is a topic that needs to be discussed. Because according to many of the scholars, many, if you have the wrong understanding, you may not even belong to Islam. Depending on your answer. Now I ask the question, where is Allah? I don't want any answers from you, but I'm sure you have an answer in your mind. You have an answer in your mind. If your answer is what some of the scholars said, may, this may take you outside of Islam. But, hold on a second. You are excused for not knowing. If you have a wrong position, then you are excused for not knowing. Alhamdulillah. So you're still a Muslim. But what matters is that if we did have the wrong understanding, today is the day where we make some modification. So where is Allah? The average answer that you hear is Allah is everywhere. Huh? That's the most common answer. Where is Allah? Allah is everywhere. Now I'm not going to go into the details of that. I will leave that till the middle of the lecture or maybe towards the end. Let me tell you what the right position is and how we could prove it. The right position is that Allah is above His creation. He is not everywhere. And the evidence for that, the evidences are from the Qur'an, from the Sunnah, from the Ijma' consensus of the Sahaba and the Muslims, from Al-Aql, intellect, and Al-Fitra, natural disposition. These five things we will use in this particular lecture to prove what the belief of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah is pertaining to where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And we will begin with always the Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have five ways to prove it. And the Qur'an is one of them. Within the Qur'an, within the Qur'an, there are five different occasions, five different ways of how Allah's transcendency, or Allah being above, is mentioned in the Qur'an. They are as follows. The first, كَوْنُهُ فِي الْعُلُو الْعُلُو And الْفَوْقِيَّةِ Ulu is transcendency. Al-Fawqiyah being above. Su'udul ashya'i ilayh. Things going up to Allah. Nuzulil ashya'i minh. Things going down from Allah. And finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that He is above the heavens. Kaunuhu fis-sama'. The first one. Everybody knows Surah Al-A'la. What do you say in the first ayah? Sabbih isma rabbikal a'la. Glorify the name of your Lord the most high. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most high. That is one aspect. At the end of Ayat al-Kursi, what do you say? وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَا يَعُودُ حِفْظُهُمَا وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ Al-Ali. Al-Ali, the most high. That's one aspect. 
Now some of the people who don't have the right understanding, they say this is just an indication of Allah's attributes and qualities being high, not necessarily Allah Himself. Well, wait, let's continue. After we deal with that aspect, then let us deal with the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned Him being above. Allah said about the angels, يَخَافُونَ رَبَّهُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ They fear their Lord who is above them. And the Arabic language, min فَوْقِهِمْ can mean absolutely nothing except that that which we are speaking about is above in a physical sense. طيب. Now I ask you, where do the angels live? Where is the common place for the angels? What do they inhabit? The earth or the heavens? The heavens. When Allah is above them, meaning Allah is above the heavens. That's one aspect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to say, in terms of things going up to Allah. Allah says, إِلَيْهِ يَصْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ الطَّيِّبُ وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ يَرْفَعُ To Allah goes up the goodly word. Tasbih, dhikr, recitation of the Qur'an, any good thing that you say, it goes up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ يَرْفَعُ And the righteous deed ascends to him. So now we have things going up. When the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, during Al-Isra and Mi'raj, where did he go? Did he go everywhere? He was taken up to the heavens. Where did he speak to Allah? Where did he run into Moses? When we were given the obligatory salah as 50. And then he ran into Moses in the sixth heaven. He told him, go back, I've already tried the Jews. Go back to Allah, tell him to reduce the salah. Then the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu went back. Where was this happening? Everywhere or above the heavens? Above the heavens. Things go down from Allah. Verily we have sent down the remembrance. Send down. Why would the word nazzalna, and we know what the Arabic word means, tanzil, things coming down, why would that word be used if Allah was everywhere? There would be no need for things to go down, no need for things to go up. And finally, in the most clear, clear method, it is mentioned in Surah Al-Mulk, أَأَمِنْتُمْ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاءِ do you feel secure that he who is above the heavens will cause the earth to swallow you? Do you feel secure that he who is above the heavens will cause the earth to shake under you and swallow you? So what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describe himself with? Being above the heavens. These are from the Quran. Actually, and ironically, this was the belief system of Fir'aun. You think I'm exaggerating? No. Musa, alayhi salatu salam, in his da'wah, because we know the messengers came with the same da'wah when it came to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the essence of Allah did not change. What changed was the law. Some things that we were supposed to do that they didn't have to do, and vice versa. As far as the messengers and the teachings pertaining to Allah, they are consistent from the time of Adam until the time of Prophet Muhammad In Surah Al-A'raf, we have this particular incident mentioned. Uh, I believe it's Surah Al-A'raf. Anyways, it is a statement from Fir'aun to his wazir, Haman. وَقَالَ فِرْعَوْنُ يَا هَامَانُ لِي صَرْحًا لَعَلِّي أَبْلُغُ الْأَسْبَابِ أَسْبَابَ السَّمَاوَاتِ Fir'aun, Allah quoted this in the Quran. And Fir'aun said to Haman, 
O Haman, build for me a construction so I may ascend in the heavens, so I may go with the ways, the ways of the heavens, so I could look at the Lord of Moses. No? Notice what is going on? Pharaoh is telling Haman to build a construction, a tower, in which he could climb, so he could look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? That Moses was teaching that Allah is above his creation, not everywhere. Otherwise, Pharaoh would have never made this particular statement. So I hope that this clarifies. Furthermore, we have the verses dealing with Jesus, peace be upon him, that we know the miracle of Jesus, the Christians say that he was crucified, while we know from the Quran that Allah says, بَلْ رَفَعَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَيْهِ Nay, but Allah raised him up to himself. So where would Jesus be risen if Allah was everywhere? It would not make any sense. That is from the Quran. The second is what? The Sunnah. The way of the Prophet Muhammad As you may know or you may not know, it's time to learn. The Sunnah is divided into three categories. The way you establish the Sunnah is in one of three ways. It is either Qawliyah, the statement of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or Fi'liyah, the action of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or Taqririyah, the approval or the acknowledgement of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Either a statement that he says or an action that he does or an acknowledgement something happens in his presence and he accepts it that becomes a Sunnah I hope this is clear we actually have evidences from all three categories of the Sunnah to prove that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above His creation, above His throne in a manner which befits His Majesty. Why? لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ There's nothing like unto Him. There's nothing like Allah. There's none equal to Allah. So we don't have a problem understanding that the nature of Allah is unlike the nature of His creation. The essence of Allah is not like the essence of His creation. So we do not understand Allah in human context. We don't. So we continue the Sunnah. First, as Sunnah al qawliyah the statement of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now I ask you, when you make sujood, what do you say in your sujood? Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. Glory be to Allah, the Most High. This is one. Then we have the hadith that I mentioned to you in the beginning of this lecture in Sahih Muslim. The hadith of Muawiyah ibn Hakam al-Silmi radiallahu anhu wa He had, during that time, he had a girl working for him. And that girl was responsible for the shepherd. She was a shepherd. She was the one taking care of his sheep, goats and what have you. Muawiyah came to the Messenger وسلم, asking him a number of questions. Among the things that he asked him, he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, I have this girl working for me. And one of the times, a sheep, a wolf, huh, ate one of the sheep. He ate one of the sheep. So I became angry with this young lady and I slapped her. I slapped her and I feel guilty. You know, I'm a human being. He admitted this, like, I'm a human being. You know, I got angry and I slapped this young woman. Now he wants expiation for the sin. His admission to the Prophet Muhammad so he could give him the treatment for his sin to be forgiven. What does he need to do for the sin to be expiated? Not just for the mere purpose of sharing information. The Messenger وسلم, said, Tini biha, bring her to me. Bring her to me. Now this is the most sensitive aspect of the hadith and the most clear hadith in the world about what me and you should believe pertaining to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
When this young lady came to the Prophet ﷺ, the first thing he said was, Aina Allah? Where is Allah? The title of the lecture. Where is Allah? Qalat Fissama. Qala man ana? Qalat anta Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Qala lirrajul a'tiqha fa innaha mu'minah. He asked her, where is Allah? She said, Allah is above the heavens. And she directed and she pointed with her finger. Now this is who? A girl that was out on the farm. Not a scholar with a big turban. Huh? Not a big sheikh, big maulana. Regular woman who probably didn't attend durus. But this was the fitrah. This was the natural disposition of Allah. Ain Allah above the heavens. Man ana, who am I? She said, you are the messenger of Allah. Upon this acknowledgement, now he the Prophet acknowledged. If she made a mistake, believe me, he would correct her. He would say, no, no, Allah is everywhere. Don't say Allah is above. He acknowledged Sallallahu Then upon this he said, let her go. She was working for him, Muawiyah. He told him, let her go. She is a believer. She is a believer. So he confirmed belief upon that two questions. Where is Allah? And who am I? Which is almost La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is to tell us that part of La ilaha illallah is knowing the aqidah. What did the Prophet Muhammad sallam teach his companions about Allah? Is it just some vague information? Is it something that is ambiguous? Is it something that is unreachable? No. The Quran was being revealed in the language which they understood. There were descriptions and attributes of Allah which the companions understood in the right context. No questions were posed, as nowadays people pose and they try to twist the meaning. They say, no, that doesn't mean that, and they, they use their intellect to reject the Quran and the Sunnah. <coughs> and this is a big calamity upon the Muslims. We want to be united under one roof, but then within the same building, we do not agree about Allah. How is that going to happen? This is not... This is not what happened in the early generations. See, they all had to come to an agreement regarding their belief system. And they had to migrate after years of da'wah before they were allowed to take their right and defend them, themselves and struggle for the cause of Allah. It was a while before victory was given to the Muslims. Otherwise, the Prophet Muhammad Sallam, after 13 years of da'wah, he ran out of Mecca. He ran out with, with Abu Bakr Siddiq. They were going to kill him. Why? Because the da'wah, the people had to learn first. So much so, that a young lady working out in the fields with the, with the sheep and the goats, she knew she had the right aqidah. But now you ask, they ask the average Muslim, where is Allah? He will tell you, Allah is everywhere. Say la ilaha illallah. Ya akhi, this statement of yours is very dangerous. This statement of yours is very dangerous. It is unacceptable in every way, shape or form. Intellectually, Textually from the Quran and the Sunnah through our natural disposition. I mean you cannot argue that and we will deal with those. So first the Sunnah, the hadith, the acknowledgement here, the Prophet Muhammad in the hadith of Muawiyah in Sahih Muslim, he acknowledged the statement of the Sahabiya. In Sahih Bukhari, Zainab bin Jahsh, which was the wife of the Prophet Muhammad who was married to Zayd in the beginning, then Allah gave her in marriage to the Prophet Muhammad She said she used to say to the other wives, of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu teasing them. قالت زوجكن أهاليكن. 
أما أنا فزوجني الله من فوق سبع سماوات أو كما قالت رضي الله عنها. She used to say that to the other wives of the Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم teasing them. She said all of you, your parents gave you in marriage to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. It was your parents. As for me, Allah gave me in marriage to him from above the seven heavens. من فوق سبع سماوات. From above the seven heavens. What does that mean? What was her belief system? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was above. In the hadith of Abu Sa'id, in Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu told the companions, أَلَا تَأْمَنُونِي وَأَنَا أَمِينُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاءِ Do you not trust me and I am entrusted by he who is above the heavens? Do you not trust me and I am entrusted by he who is above the heavens? The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu making this particular statement. So this is from the sunnah. Clear like the sun. In the final Hajjat uh, al the final pilgrimage of the Prophet Muhammad the largest gathering of Muslims, the largest gathering of Muslims during the time of the Prophet Muhammad this is shortly before he passed away alayhi salatu salam. What happened? He gathered all the companions, or everybody was there. Then he, after he delivered this khutbah, the famous khutbah which you all know, you found it you know, hung on the walls, what did he say? He said, Allah hal ballaghd? Have I not conveyed? قالوا نعم yes then he said a second time ألا هل بلغت have I not conveyed قالوا نعم a second time third time ألا هل بلغت did I not convey قالوا نعم فأشار بإصبعه إلى السماء ثم كان ينكتها عليهم ويقول اللهم اشهد اللهم اشهد اللهم اشهد then the Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم would point with his finger to the heavens and then would point at his companions say oh Allah bear witness that they're saying, yes, I convey. This is the action of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now you have people who will reject all of that. The majority of Muslims, almost 70 to 80% of Muslims today, believe that Allah is everywhere. And if you were to tell them that Allah is above His creation, above the throne, they will make a big, big deal, big fitna. I have personally experienced this from those involved in da'wah. Let alone people who are sitting at home watching TV. People in da'wah are propagating this particular belief system. And when you try to bring them these evidences, they, find an, they try to find an exit. And we will deal with their exits and see how they can be blocked very easily. Because these evidences are clear. Aren't you convinced? Isn't this clear enough? Wallahi, I've never seen anything more clear. But this is only from the Quran and the Sunnah. Let us go to the ijma'. The consensus of the companions and the early generations. Actually, we do not have a single statement, not even one statement from any of the companions or any of the Sahaba or any of the Tabi'een or those who came after them or any of the ulama, the early generation scholars that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not, not above His creation. No such statement. Never. Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah ta'ala, which many people today follow his madhab in fiqh, and Rahimahullah is one of the major Imams in Islam. Much respect is, is due to him. Radiallahu anhu and Rahimahullah ta'ala bi rahmatihi al-wasi'a. Let me quote something to you. Al-Imam al-Qadi, Tajuddin Abdul Khalik bin Ulwan, qal, Sami'atu Aba Muhammad Abdullah Aba Ahmad al-Maqdisi, yaqul, Sami'atu balaghani an أبي حنيفة رحمه الله أنه قال من أنكر أن الله عز وجل في السماء فقد كفر. This is a chain of narration. عبد الخالق نعلوان said I heard الإمام أبو محمد المقدسي say 
it reached me that Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah said, whomever, whoever denies that Allah Azzawajal is above the heavens has disbelieved. Has disbelieved according to the Imam rahmatullah But today, people follow him in every aspect of the minor issues of fiqh, even if sometimes they wind up not being in agreement with the sunnah, but when you check their belief system, you will find that their aqidah is on one side, and that of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah is on the opposite side. And this is not befitting. If you really want to follow the Imam, then the first thing that you focus on is his belief system. Because the first thing that we'll be questioned about is our belief system. That is La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah is aqidah. Is aqidah. Which translates into various acts of worship and other things, but the most fundamental aspect is that. Now this is the, this is the belief system of Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, An-Nasai, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, At-Tirmidhi, you name them. Every scholar that you think of, their belief system was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above the seven heavens, above his creation, above his throne, فوق العرش, in a manner which befits his majesty and his greatness. Don't say how. Because we do not know how. Cave, the how, howness as they call it, no one knows. Why? Because Allah taught us in the Quran, There is nothing like unto Allah. The human being is unable to perceive what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in reality. You cannot. But you do not deny the Quran and the Sunnah and the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad This is the third aspect. Fourthly, intellect. Things are either above or below. And being below is unacceptable to Allah, intellectually. So being above is a necessity. That's one way. Another thing is usually the higher a person is, huh? the higher he is, the more respected. For example, even in the, in the business, you have the, you know, the, the CEO, that's the ultimate guy. And then you go down, you know, the manager, then you have the, the president and what have you. You have a list of, of positions. And obviously the higher you are in rank, the more honorable and respected you are among the employees. So if this is the case with something insignificant like us, the creation, then if, if being high, having high highness is something that is praiseworthy and a source of perfection or a quality of perfection, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most deserving of that. This is only intellectual. We don't need that. But we only mention them as supporting evidences to prove that even the mind is in agreement with the fact that Allah is above His creation and not everywhere. Finally, fitra, natural disposition. When a calamity befalls upon you, what do you do? Don't you naturally feel, Oh Allah, huh? by nature, without anyone teaching you anything, by nature, you turn towards Allah and you look up. Have you ever seen anyone go like this? Oh Allah, because Allah is everywhere. Hashalillah. Subhana rabbi rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Glory be to Allah from that which they ascribed him. You never, by natural disposition, you will never have this particular behavior. Even the Jews and the Christians, it is confirmed with them that Allah is above his creation. It is confirmed. And unfortunately, they have very twisted yani, belief system as Anis Surosh. Uh, one time his son asked him, uh, Father, you know, what is the rain? Where does the rain come from? So look at, look at their anthropomorphic misunderstanding. Look how they make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like his creation. He told them that after God takes a shower, he unplugs the, the tub, and then this is the water that comes down. Now, 
This is as, as strange as this may sound. I mean, what are, you, what are you giving the people a concept of God is what? Some human being living above the heavens? This is bogus. But what is the point of emphasis here? That he believes that, Allah, that, that his God is above. The point was that it, rain came from above because of that act. Which is indication that this is what the Christians also believe. And we already mentioned that Moses had been teaching that. And Pharaoh believed that. He totally believed that. He told Haman, build a tower for me so I could look up in the skies. So this is something that we must clearly understand. These are the five ways in which we prove that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above His creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not everywhere. Why? A person may ask, why? We have verses from the Qur'an that says, وَهُوَ مَعَكُمْ أَيْنَمَا كُنْتُمْ And He is with you wherever you may be. Actually, it is these verses that have led these Muslims to have this particular belief system. That's why we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to excuse them and to make them among... If we, if we were among them to be excused because we were, we were thinking that we're following the Qur'an and the Sunnah and no one taught us better. So inshallah we don't go under the category of the people whom Abu Hanifa said they're outside of Islam. Rahimahullah. Because we don't know. And Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah said, إِنَّ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ أَسْمَاءٌ وَصِفَاتٌ لَا يَسْعُ أَحَدًا ثَبَتَتْ عَلَيْهِ الْحُجَّةِ رَدُّهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has names and attributes, Imam Shafi'i said. No one, no one has the right to reject them after, after the proof has been established. فَمَنْ رَدَّهَا بَعْدَ ثَبُوتِ الْحُجَّةِ فَهُوَ كَافِرٌ Whomever rejects them after the proof has been established, then he is a disbeliever. قَبْلَ ثُبُوتِ الْحُجَّةِ عَلَيْهِ فَهُوَ مَعْذُورٌ بِالْجَهْلِ He said, as before the evidence was given and the proof was established, then he is excused for ignorance. So Imam Shafi'i Rahmanullah said that the person is excused for ignorance because we don't know any better. They didn't teach you that in school. Actually, they were teaching you that Allah is everywhere. So you believe that. Why? Because of the misunderstanding of Al-Ma'iyyah being with Allah, being with His creation. What does that mean? I'm going to give you a very simple example which you can relate to. We have the brother over here is closer to me than the brother in the back. Right or wrong? Everybody agrees. He's close, he's far. Let's say the phone rings. Okay, your name is Jameel. Your name is Akhi? Muhannad. Muhannad. A person calls me on the phone. Says, uh, Brother Abu Musab. Hey, Hayakallah. Is Jamil with you? Yes, Jamil is with me. A brother Muhammad is with you? Yes, he's with me. Tay. Barakallah feek. Now let me ask you, are they sitting on my lap? Are we mixed with one another? Are we in, integrated in one substance? No. And I use the word with for both. Jamil is with me in the lecture hall. And so is the brother Muhammad. He is with me in the lecture hall. That does not necessitate that I am with them in a sense where I'm everywhere. I am with them, in them, outside, and they are within me. You understand what I'm saying? So the word being with does not necessitate that you are mixed with that. So Allah can be with His creation without being with His, in the sense that He is around us. Because if you say that, then you have, you have fallen into the most dangerous of things. Because you, you have to exclude the bathroom and the nightclubs and the garbage bins and you have to open a big list of exceptions Allah is everywhere except 
A, B, C, D, E, and you will go on forever making exceptions. Someone will ask you, where did you get this belief system from? Who told you to say that Allah is everywhere except these places? You have no, none, no textual evidence. So when we say that Allah is everywhere mixed with His creation, as many people seem to think, then we are given Allah the worst of attributes. This fitna actually came about in Islam in the early generations, in the time of Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, Al-Jahmiyyah, they're known as Al-Jahmiyyah. Imam Ahmad rahimahullah dealt with them in a very intelligent way. He said, look, let me give you some examples so you can better understand me. Do you all agree, he told them, because this is our belief system, that there was Allah and there was nothing be besides Allah. In the beginning, there was Allah only, right? There was no heavens, no earth, no human being, nothing. The first thing that Allah created was what, ya akhwan? Al-pen, al-qalam. The first thing that Allah created was al-qalam. Then He commanded the pen to write everything that will happen. Then the creation of the heavens and the earth. Then the creation of the son of Adam. The angels were there before. So the creation came in stages. In the beginning there was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there was nothing else. You follow me? That's the belief system of the Muslims. Don't get it twisted. There was no... Allah was al-awwal. Laysa qablahu shay. Allah is the first. There's nothing before Him. Huh? He is the eternal, the everlasting. There was nothing with Allah, nothing before Allah. There was Allah and nothing else. Then Allah created the creation. So Imam Ahmad said, you agree with me? He said, yes. He said, okay, then we are in one of three things. Either you say that Allah created the creation within him. You follow me? He said, either you say that Allah created the heavens and the earth and everything within him. If you say that you have left Islam. Because he's saying that, that within Allah are the devils and the jinn and all kinds of filthy things. That's one. You cannot say that. He said the other option that you have is that you say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the creation outside of him. Then he went in to become everywhere. Hashalillah. We have to use this to just to deal with these people. He said if you say this, you have also left Islam. Because you just claim that Allah went into filthy things. That Allah went into his creation to become mixed with them. He said, the only last option that you have is that Allah created the creation huh, beyond Him and Allah is beyond His creation. And if you say that, then you have went back to the truth. Then and only then, you are upon the truth. You have no other option. Either the creation is within Allah, hashalillah, or Allah went, because when you say that Allah is everywhere, that is what you're indicating. That we have to understand the word everywhere. Everybody understands English here, that's why you're here. Every, every. No exception. Everywhere. Yani everywhere. If there was an exception, it will no longer be everywhere. It will be some places. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so obviously, Imam Ahmad rahimahullah used the intellect to prove to these individuals that the ma'iyya that you're mentioning does not necessitate, huh? That you have to be mixed with something. It does not necessitate. Rather, many of the scholars say that the, Allah being with His creation, with His knowledge, with His ability, with His power, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls everything in your life. Where that being with is not in the sense that you are understanding. Others said no. We even confirm that to Allah. The same way we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has qualities that are unlike His creation. Allah can be with His creation without being mixed with them. And they gave many examples from the language. From the language you say, مَا زِلْنَا نَسِيرُ وَالْقَمَرُ مَعَنَا They say, we are still walking and the moon is with us. Is the moon in your pocket, ya akhi? Can you grab the moon? Play yo-yo with it? 
Huh? Give it to your son, say play with the moon when you're done, put it back because the people need some free light. Have you ever seen this? No. But don't you say the moon is with us? It's with you. It's moving with you. It's there. It's not going away. So what do you use the word? With. But how far are you from the moon? Only Allah knows. So the moon being above you and with you is something that is possible at the same time. If this is the case with the creation of Allah, then what about that with the Creator? If within the creation we have these facts, then what about between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Creator and His creation, then this is more so. This is more possible. So this is the correct understanding that we have. Now there's another way to deal with it. If you recite the Qur'an, you will find an incident that happened to Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. When Allah promised Musa to come to him in order to descend upon him the Torah, طيب, and he told him to come for 40 days, Musa alayhi salatu became very excited and anxious to see Allah. He wanted to see Allah. And this is the hope of every believer. Now we know that we will not get this in this dunya, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala In this dunya, Allah cannot be encompassed with sight. In this dunya, in Jannah, the believers will see Allah. Today, he cannot do it. Anyways, Musa, he was excited to see Allah. So Allah quoted in the Quran, Musa said, Qala Rabbi arini anzur ilayk. Musa said, oh my Lord, allow me to look at you. Allah told him, Qala lan tarani. Allah says, you will not see me. Walakin unzur ila al-jabal. Nay, but look at the mountain. Look at the mountain. If the mountain remains fixed, then you'll be able to see me. Tayyip. Look at the mountain. If the mountain remains fixed, it remains stable, then you'll be able to see me. Then what, what, what happened? So when his Lord, when Allah revealed himself, the scholars say it was a very small portion of the majesty of Allah. When Allah revealed the small portion of his majesty to the mountain, the mountain crushed into pieces and Musa fainted. Musa passed out right then and there. The mountain was unable to remain in its place because Allah revealed a portion of his majesty. So you tell those who say that Allah is everywhere, how are we still surviving? If Allah was everywhere, there would be no heavens, no mountains, nothing. Everything would be destroyed. Why did it take that Allah would reveal a portion of His majesty to the mountain for the mountain to crush? This is an indication that at the current moment, Allah is not everywhere. And when a portion of Allah was revealed to the mountain, the mountain wasn't able to stay in its place. See how it is? The Quranic then verses and the narrations from the Prophet Muhammad wasallam are clear like the sun for anyone who's seeking the truth and guidance. So then we can bring a relation between Allah being above His creation and Allah being with His creation, not in the sense where with meaning intermixed with each other. Because we gave examples from worldly life that you can be with someone and not be with them in the same place. You can even call your, your brother on the phone. You know, he has an exam. Say, Akhido, I'm with you. I'm with you inshallah, I'll, I'll make dua for you, I'm supporting you. And you don't mean that you're with him in the same classroom. But you use this particular term, with. And this was used in the Quran, this was used in the Sunnah, and this is used in the language of the Arabs, which the Quran was revealed upon during their time. They understood what these verses meant. And the amazing thing, ya akhwan, is that the most knowledgeable person was the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Did anyone know Allah better than the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Impossible. 
Was anyone more interested and keen on seeking knowledge than the Sahaba? Do you think me and you have the, the urge huh, and the tendency and the desire to learn Islam like the Sahaba did? Never. Never. So the scholars say, if the most knowledgeable person about Allah was around the people who wanted to learn the most about Allah and they never had this conversation, they never came and said, what does the verse mean? Does it really mean that Allah is above? Or is it Allah that everywhere but it's a metaphor, metaphorically speaking? Why did this conversation never take place between them? Because they never understood it in the way human people, human beings or Muslims nowadays unfortunately understand it. After when? After we mix with the Greek philosophy. The Greek philosophy and the anthropomorphic uh, tendencies of these people that seem to always make God similar to his creation, resembling Allah to his creation, thinking of God with human characteristics. Then and only then, the Muslims started having problems with these verses. When they learned that they were teaching that Allah was Jesus Christ, Tayyip, then they heard the verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a face, for example. They said, oh no, we're doing like the Christians now, so we deny it. You say, but the verse in the Quran, كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فَانَ وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ Everything upon it will go away, will disappear, will vanish, and the, and the face of your Lord will remain. They say, no, no, we cannot say that. What is meant is the glory of Allah, the power of Allah, the majesty of Allah. So they wind up misinterpreting the verse because they're trying to avoid something. In reality, they fell into the very thing they're trying to avoid. And they denied the Quran. Had they understood that there's nothing like Allah, they would have no problems. You understand me, my brothers and sisters? There's nothing like Allah. Our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala is nothing that you have ever been able to imagine. So when Allah describes Himself in the Quran with certain qualities and attributes, we do not deny them. At the same time, we do not think about them in human context. Don't imagine a human being. Don't imagine a human being. Allah rose above His throne. How? Allahu A'lam. Allah didn't teach us, did not tell us how, and it is none of our business. What difference does it make to you? What matters to you is that you know that Allah sees you, watches you, and that you believe what Allah said in the Quran. And you make this means of your iman to be increased. So when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will get the things that you do not know today. But to deny the Quran, deny the Sunnah, how can the Prophet ask a young lady, where is Allah? And she tells him, Fissama, and then someone comes and says, other than that. And the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. How can someone do that? A hadith in Bukhari Muslim. We don't have the right to do that. So next time, you'll come across some of our, our brothers and sisters in Islam, and you discuss this issue, you will see what I'm saying. That the most prominent and the most dominant answer that you will get is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everywhere. If you tell them why, they say because Allah says that He is with us, and because Allah is with us, that means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is every, everywhere. Then we say, this is unacceptable. Not Imam Ahmad, not Imam Abu Hanif, rahimahullah, not Imam Shafi'i, not Ishaq ibn Rahawiyah, not Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Sufyan al-Thawri, Hassan al-Basri. None of them had this belief system. None of them ever even dared to say that particular statement. Rather, all of them confirmed what the Prophet Muhammad sallam had left his companions with. So you, my brother or sister, by taking this road, you are going against the path that will lead you to Jannah. Because your understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is incorrect. Your understanding of Allah is wrong. And the first thing we must correct 
us Muslims in our, in our lives right now is our understanding of Allah. We must reunite Muslims from every nationality, every ethnicity, every skin color. We must reunite. It is necessary that we unite, otherwise they're going to keep eating us. Don't think because they start bombing right now that the, the fitna is over. It is not over. This is only a phase. And we will continue to deal with struggles all over the Muslim world until we unite. Now can we unite upon falsehood? No. We must unite upon the truth. And where is the truth? It is available for those who study. I'm sure maybe some of you who didn't know this have never heard this before. Had you heard this before, you would never think otherwise. You would never think otherwise. You would say, oh, mashallah, this is clear like the sun. I just never heard this before. Because we have not been doing our job. So inshallah, as I mentioned before, these lectures have been put for the benefit of the Muslims so we can start rebuilding and reconstructing even on this minor community that we have, this small community. It may be blessed by Allah. Each one of us here may expand what he learns into his family members and you don't know how far this may go. Perhaps the, the rehabilitation of the Muslim Ummah will be through me and you, through our hands, with the right knowledge, with the proper understanding of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So not to make this any longer, this is the answer for the question of the lecture. Where is Allah? If someone asks you this next time, say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, huh? فوق العرش, Allah is above his throne, they say, huh? Say, in a manner which befits his majesty. In a manner which befits the majesty of Allah. Don't say how. And don't say that Allah is everywhere. Because if you do so, then you are attributing to Allah things that do not befit His Majesty and your Iman is in a danger zone. And you may quote to Him some of these things. So, Alhamdulillah for, for this opportunity to, to sit with you and, and discuss these uh, most vital of issues. When you speak about, about, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's nothing more important in this life. I mean, everything in, in Islam is related to that. But when the subject matter is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself and understanding Him in the right context, then this is the ultimate the ultimate knowledge and the ultimate blessings that we are getting. Now one may ask before I conclude, how does that benefit us? Learning these things, how does it benefit us? It benefits you when you are mindful of Allah. Knowing that Allah is above His creation, looking at you, seeing you, hearing you, knowing about you, will keep you mindful of Allah. Will keep you mindful of Allah. You avoid sins more often than you fall into them. Because you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you. You realize the majesty and the greatness of Allah by knowing His names and attributes. These are means for our Iman to be increased. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase my Iman and yours and make us upon those who follow the path of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his companions and all those who follow them on the righteous path until the day of judgment. If you do have any questions, then feel free to ask. Barakallah fikum. أن تعبد الله كأنك تراه فإن لم يكن فإن لم تكن تراه فإنه يراك. Yes. Yes. Well, the hadith. This is the hadith of Jibril, of course. When Jibril asked Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم about إيمان إحسان. قال أن تعبد الله كأنك تراه فإن لم تكن تراه فإنه يراك. To worship Allah as if you can see Him, as if كأنك ها. And if you cannot reach this level, then know that Allah sees you. 
And the intent behind that is when you worship Allah as if you can see Him, meaning you'll be in the, this is the, the, the state of love and devotion. And I will give you a worldly example. I'll give you a worldly example that you can relate to. What does it mean to worship Allah as if you can see Him? Let's use a worldly example with your boss at work. You are, each one here is an employee probably at some, some place. Now, we have shortcomings. Imagine that in your office, your office was the same, you shared the office with your boss. And all day he's looking at you. How would you work? Would you be getting personal phone calls? Would you be browsing the internet? Surfing out, checking out different websites? No. Having your lunch during work? No. Man, the boss is looking at you. You'll be working like this. You'll be working in the most ultimate sense. Because the boss is watching you. You follow me? Because of that mindfulness that he is watching you, you will be, you will be doing the job because you cannot play around. So this is in terms of the world. Now imagine if they told you that there was a camera. The boss doesn't work with you, but he has a camera huh, installed in the corner of the, in your office. <laughs> and he told you, I'm going to watch the tapes. I'm going to watch the tapes. What would happen? You will be more cautious, but not as cautious. Because the shaitan will tell you, maybe the tape is over. Maybe the camera is not really working. Maybe he'll be too busy to watch. So you may squeeze a couple of phone calls, you go under the table, something along these lines, hoping that he will not watch. But if there was no camera, and you know the boss is on vacation, then you'll be having lunch and surfing the internet and speaking on the phone, your feet up on the desk. You know what I'm saying. I hope you don't do this. Uh, you know, I'm not encouraging this particular behavior. But we will be less mindful. This is the, the, the concept here. So if you worship Allah as if you can see Him, and to Allah belongs that example, this is as if your boss is with you. You cannot really play around. Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would you... No. You'll be doing a job. And the second level is that at least know that Allah is watching you. It's almost like the camera, which is a le lesser level. And the last level is that you have absolutely no ihsan. That you don't even think about that, then you are like the lousy employee. And this is just an example to make the concept closer. And to Allah belongs the highest example. Yeah. Oh, mashallah. I think we should use papers more often because usually no one asks verbally. So, sorry is not relevant to the subject matter. Is astrology haram? Not telling the future, just the sciences, personality traits according to zodiac signs. Uh, Allahu A'lam. <coughs> Obviously, you know, the believing in the Capricorn and things of the sort and the things of the future, they are related. Uh, we don't, uh, whatever the Sunnah and the Kitab confirm, then we accept. And whatever they deny, we deny. Okay? And whatever they don't say anything about, then we leave it open. I personally do not know anything about this particular issue, whether there's anything from the Quran and the Sunnah which either accepts the fact that you can say, yani basically the person is, will be generous, if he's a Capricorn, they're usually generous and emotional and blah 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 from the things that you hear. I don't know of anything of this sort. So Allahu A'lam. But inshallah I will look it up and maybe next lecture inshallah we will uh, try to find you some answers. Uh, is it right to say that Allah is uh, in Firdaus or in, this, in the seventh heaven? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above the heavens. Okay, above. Allah is separate from His creation. Okay, so when you say that Allah is in the heaven, you are making something that the Quran or the Sunnah did not confirm. And we do not do that. So we say Allah is above His creation, huh? above the heavens, including the seventh heaven. And not that Allah is in there. Tayyip? So we don't say that. 
the concept of uh, Mavia about the girls in street remain is how uh, Maviak was satisfied for his guilty for slapping girls. Oh, oh, okay, the hadith. Okay, no, one second. The concept of Maia, I believe. Wallahi, I don't understand the question. Question is, you have not completed this. How did you satisfy the mother? He told them, Atika, let her go. Only let her go, but what is the, how he feel himself? That's it. She was a slave girl for him. And now, he, you know, he let her go for the sake of Allah. This is, yani, uh, to him, someone taking care of his business. Now he has to find a new employee. So that requires him paying money and, you know, things of this sort. Nah. Wallahu a'lam. Hey, barakallahu feek. Zakallah khairan. Uh, do different scholars differ in the concept of covering the face? If so, should one cover their face abroad? Many women around the world do not cover their faces. Now, uh, ouch, first, big ouch. Uh, the issue of the niqab or the uh, khimar or things dealing with the woman covering her face, it is, it is not news to you that the scholars have differed extensively pertaining to this issue. Uh, yeah, basically, there are two opinions. The opinion that a woman must cover her face and hands. And hands. And feet. Obviously the feet, as far as I know, they don't differ. Except maybe some. But the pro- most of the scholars, a woman must cover her feet. This is just a notification for the sisters that during the salah, this is also you should cover your feet. And during your regular days, you should not be wearing any shoes that show your feet, your toes and things of this sort. Because when the Prophet Muhammad told the men that you should keep your pants above the ankles, Ummu Salama, his wife, said, O Messenger of Allah, what about the woman? He said, let, let her let her garment down a hands with. She said, O Messenger of Allah, our feet will be exposed. He said, then let her let it down an arm's length and nothing beyond that. So the illa, the reason she said, our feet will be exposed. So he said that you should cover, you make your garment even longer. So your feet will not be exposed. So this is one thing we must understand. I don't want to deal with the feet. You asked about the face. I'm speaking about the feet. Malice. But they are all relevant. As far as the face, the fuqaha and the muhaddithin have differed about this particular issue. Each has their own set of evidences. And very often it's the same evidence understood in different ways. Uh, I do not want to impose anything on anyone. Okay? Because this is a matter of which the scholars have differed. But based on the discussion that I've read and the position of some of the scholars and what they have mentioned this is not imposing I have to speak the truth because this is an amana with Allah I cannot lie this is what I believe I'm not imposing this on any sister the correct position is that the sister does not have to cover her face she does not have to cover her face with her hands it is a recommended sunnah in which she will be rewarded for if she does it particularly at times of fitna and where men mix with women often and things of the sort it becomes more highly recommended that the woman covers her face but to come and say that this is an obligation based on the narrations that are sahih and the interpretation of some many of the mufassirin of the verses surah al-ahzab and surah al-nur and things of the sort i personally after reading the discussion cannot tell you something that i don't believe but at the end of the day i'm no one I am sitting here, no one. So don't say, Wallah, Abu Musa said, I'm no one. My position is to be disregarded. And my opinion is worthless. You ask the scholars whom you trust. 
I'm only giving you what because this question was posed to me and I don't want to uh, reject the truth. The truth is, based on the narrations, a number of them, that a woman, because it was proven that even at the time of the Prophet Muhammad they were women who were covered and women who were not covered. There were women who were covered and others who were not covered. So many of the fuqaha, and even among the sahaba, are of the opinion that it is a highly recommended sunnah for the sister, but her exposing her face and hands is not sinful. But time out. Some sisters have a misunderstanding. They say, oh, mashallah, this is the case? Okay, let me go to the uh, beauty salon. And she go, you know, strike her hair like this, and put the, you know, pluck her eyebrows and put full makeup and lipstick and you name it. It's the things that I don't even know what to call. And she come out looking like she just went to a wedding. But she's only going down the street to buy some vegetables. We say, sisters, time out. Barakallah Viki, yes, the scholar said that you do not open your, you know, you, do, you don't have to cover your face if you follow that opinion. But that does not mean that you go to the opposite extreme. So covering the face... Exposing the face is only that round part. The ears must be covered, the chest must be covered, the, the, the body must be covered, and the clothes should not be tight. I'm not going to deal with the etiquettes of the hijab. Maybe we will deal with one of the lectures about what the hijab should be for the women, for the sisters in Islam. But the least to say, if you do not want to cover your face, then do not be a source of fitna for the people. You know, the sisters should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If she's doing this as an act of worship, if she truly believes in the depth of her heart, that this is the correct opinion. If she thinks that she must cover her face, and she believes this is the right opinion, and she's only not covering it because she is favoring the dunya over the akhirah, then she is sinful. You follow me? If she, if she believes that it's a wajib, huh, but she's not doing it because she dislikes to follow her desires, then she becomes sinful. So this is for the sisters who truly don't believe it's a wajib, it's an obligation. Then they should also observe excuse me, observe adab, the, you know, the, the modesty al-haya of the Muslim woman that she does not put herself in a predicament which does not befit the character that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her, the honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given, uh, has given the Muslim woman, so she should remain within these margins we are not propagating extremism or sisters walking around exposed and again, I remind the sisters, we wish that you would cover your face as a sunnah. Because of the fitna that we're going, but no, you are not sinful if you don't. It's only a recommendation. If you want to get more reward, bismillah. And it's more rewarding. And of course, don't feel that you're pressured to do anything. At the end of the day, is your judgment is with Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will judge you according to your niyyah. The scholars have differed. You read, you, you go with whatever you think is the correct position. Uh, is it right to punish taking our uh, own rights for someone doing wrong or doing wrong towards us? Yes. Yes, you have the right to get back for someone who has harmed you. And this is established in the Quran. Although it was highly recommended, al-afu, pardoning, that you pardon is what is recommended. You forgive for the sake of Allah. Allah says in Surah Al-Imran when He described the muttaqeen, وَلَعَافِينَ عَلِ النَّاسِ and those who pardon the people. Wallahu yuhibbul muhsineen. And Allah loves the good doers. So Allah made those who pardon the people among the good doers. But the scholars say, hold on a second. Sometimes pardoning is not acceptable. For example, a thief. That you know, or something, a person that if you let go, you will know he will continue to cause corruption and mischief upon earth. Then it becomes obligatory to get you right back from this person. And to tell on him in order for him to desist 
from harming and causing corruption upon the earth. Otherwise, if you have been oppressed, then you have the right to take your right back, but you do not exceed the limits, which is known as Al-Qisas. Take him back your right. You do not exceed the limits. And if somebody uh, slap you and you go get a baseball bat and you knock him out. Say, Wallah, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. No. Rather it is, Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and what have you. You go exactly as you were harmed, you harm back. Although it is recommended that you forgive and you pardon the people. And Allah says that whomever, whomever pardons and he rectifies, then his reward is with Allah. So thus encouraging us to pardon the people for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I believe these were all the questions. Music is haram. Music? Yes, salam. Uh, does the time allow us? Shuf Habibi. You know Imam Bukhari? You believe that his sahih is sahih? There's a hadith in sahih Bukhari where he said, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لَيَكُونَنَّ مِنْ أُمَّتِي أَقْوَامٍ يَسْتَحِلُّونَ الْحِرَّةِ وَالْحَرِيرَةِ وَالْخَمْرَةِ وَالْمَعَازِفِ The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said They shall be a group of my ummah who will come in the future who will try to make permissible treat as permissible because they're not permissible الحر fornication والحرير silk for men والخمر alcohol intoxicants والمعازف and musical instruments he mentioned these along things that we have no doubt that are haram and the hadith he continues he said and these people will be living upon a mountain some of them will be living upon a mountain and some people will come to them and will say we want from you to give us such and such they will tell the people come to us tomorrow the people will leave they will come the next day, they will find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the earth to swallow them. You think I'm exaggerating? La wallah. This is the hadith. Now you may say, but people nowadays listen to music, blah blah blah. Say, listen man, we have two hizb. Hizb ar-Rahman wa hizb al-Shaytan. The group of Allah and the group of the Shaytan. Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyyah and even going to the Sahaba, Ibn Mas'ud and Ibn Abbas and many of the companions said, your heart is a container. It can only encompass one of two things, either the words of Allah or the words of the Shaytan. They cannot fit in one container, man. Your heart cannot accommodate both. If you wish to have the words of Allah, the Quran, then you need to leave alone the music and the singing. If you want the music and the singing, then say bye-bye to the words of Allah. This is why right now, the person who are so in, in much uh, uh, obsessed with listening to music, if he's feeling sad, and he listens to the Quran, he'll turn it off. But he listens to the old song, that gives him these, you know, old tickly memories of, you know, oh, and he starts crying, and khushu' khushu' and submissiveness will come to him because of a song, about some love, about some love, some fornication, a'udhu billah, some wickedness. But then he listened to the Quran, say, Akhi, turn it off. And wallahi al-azim, I've seen this with my own eye. I almost didn't believe. Uh, one person, without mentioning who he is, it's not ghiba, this is just for the mere example. Wallahi, I was with a person in his car going to Salatul Jumu'ah. This is in another country, not in this country. And I had just gotten a Quran for Abdul Basit. He had, you know, one of these slow, very nice recitations. I'm very excited. I pulled the tape, I plug it in his, uh, I put it in his tape player, 
And I'm listening to it. Wallahi, it was almost a minute as if a shaitan got in his mind. He went to Egypt, threw the tape, put it on me, put his music, and then he sat down, started work. I said, La ilaha illallah. And who am I going to the masjid with, man? I was going to tell him, drop me off, let me take a taxi, man. I don't even want to go. Wallahi, it was as if he was listening to something that is disturbing to him. Because he was so obsessed with this tape, there was no room for the Qur'an anymore. So my brother, if you want to enjoy good hearing, it's in Jannah. Today, it's not going to happen. Yes, there are exceptions. Yes, there are exceptions. There's poetry. Nasheed. Not the Nasheed that they call today, like Sami Yusuf, and these soft singers, who would almost sound like women, excuse me, you know, who come and squeeze, squeak, Subhanallah, say, MashaAllah, هذا دين, هذا Islam, this is Islam, we need somebody to give da'wah by saying Subhanallah in the most gentle of way, with people in the background, Habibi, when was, when was this Islam? When was this da'wah? Wallah, this was not the case. Yes, the companions used to recite poetry. They used to, This is how they used to say it. According to Ibn Qayyim and others, this particular narration is unauthentic. And even if this was the case, Habibi, this was Nasheed. Even if you say, This is not the same as striking a guitar and having a piano and a drummer and you know the whole nine yards. So we say nasheed is acceptable. Nasheed like men or even little children if they recite nasheed there's no harm. But we're talking about today who artist, he's almost a singer, he calls it song. He goes on stage, he has women fans who when they see him they're screaming, you know, and, and waving at him. This is man, just like the singers man. And the Prophet said, Whomever resembles a group of people, he's just one of them. So I know this is sensitive because nowadays you're like, what is this brother talking about? He's making our life difficult. لا أخي, I'm trying to take you to Jannah. You're going to struggle in this dunya. If you think everything you like you're going to get, then you really don't want to go to Jannah. You become just like the disbeliever who wants to enjoy everything in his life. So we say there are exceptions. Women during a wedding may beat a duf, a particular kind of drum which doesn't have any bells, it's not big. For the sisters during wedding, yes, during Eid. Also, for the sisters, amongst each other, not with the brothers. Some of the scholars say for the brothers, I don't want to dwell into that. With an exception, only one instrument. Sisters amongst themselves, because this is more befitting for the women. But for a brother to come on stage and start singing and squeaking all day and all night and making albums and releasing them while the Muslims are dying in the world, talking about we are Muslims, inviting everyone and things of the sort of from the various things I've heard. Yani Allah musta'an. So music, Musical instruments is forbidden. This is agreed upon the four madahib, Imam al-Shafi'iyyah, wal-Hanafiyyah, wal-Malikiyyah, wal-Hanbaliyyah. All of them agree that they are haram. Actually, Imam Abu Hanifa made an exception. He said, you, all of them said, you're not even allowed to sell or buy musical instruments. Imam Abu Hanifa made an exception. He said, you may buy it to use it as a pot. You may buy it to make it a pot for planting a tree. Not to, not to use it. That was the only exception made. They did not even allow that. They used to consider these people to be the corrupt among the society. So, you know, I, my advice to you, read, learn, listen to the Qur'an. You know, we are human beings. If you listen too much to one reciter, you may also, you know, not get, you know, you may feel like you want to change. So change. Don't listen to anything. But it doesn't mean that you go to some 
lousy singer who's going to sing about himself, about drugs, about women. What are they going to sing about? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There are many nasheed recited by men which sound nice. You hear them in some of the, yani some of the uh, du'at, especially the Arabs, in their lectures. You will see that he will recite some poetry during his lecture. Wallah, it sounds nice and the words are good. He's encouraged you to do good deeds and things of this sort. This is, that's it. That is what the Sahaba did. Otherwise, I'm sure you cannot imagine Abu Bakr standing with a microphone in his hand saying Subhanallah and Umar anhu and Uthman in the back, you know, being be the chorus in the background. And the Prophet sitting there listening to them. You cannot, enjoy, you cannot believe that. Your mind will not allow you to believe that because they were serious men. And when the Prophet Muhammad had seen a man blowing the flute, he put his, his ears, his fingers in his ears. He used to ask Abu Umar, Ibn Umar, is he done? Is he done? So he, wanted, he doesn't even want to hear the flute of the shepherd. This is an indication how the Prophet Muhammad used to be. Now this requires a lecture because there are other things that the people mention. And I don't know whether we'll do that this year or not, inshallah. But for now, yani, uh, I remind you of the final uh, statement of the, the hadith of Rasulullah Bada al-Islam gharibaan wa sayaoodu gharibaan kama bada fatuba lil-ghuraba qalu manhum ya Rasulullah qala al-lazina yuslihuna idha fasada al-nas The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Islam began strange and it will go back to being strange as it began. So give glad tidings to the strangers. They said, who are they, O Messenger of Allah? He said, those who are rectified or rectify when the people go corrupt. In another narration, he said, those who revive my sunnah when the people abandon it. So if you want to follow the things I said, you're going to become strange. But hey, the Prophet ﷺ said, give glad tidings to the strangers. So inshallah, you'll be among them. Yes, sister. This, Allah, the Prophet ﷺ said, No woman, a woman who believes in Allah and the last day should not travel without a mahram. That's uh, the first thing. A woman who believes in Allah and the last day should not travel without a mahram. Why? Well, by nature, the women are weaker physically than men. And we have been given the responsibility of being al qawwamin ala nisa, the caretakers over the woman. So when a woman travels by herself, she may be exposed to some sick men. That's one thing. Now if you're a man and someone tries to steal money from you, you may punch him back, you know, you may have some business, you may handle business and get away with it. But if a sister is being attacked by some men, what is she going to do? She cannot do anything. Unless she has some karate, you know, you know, skills, and this is far-fetched. If every sister who's going to travel has to learn karate, we'll open a door that we can never close. So we say none of that. So this is one, the hikmah, the wisdom behind it. Of course there's more than that. The bottom line is here, here is, is the Islam, submission to Allah. Allah protected the Muslim woman in terms of her traveling and not allowing her to travel as means of protection for herself. She should be pleased with the decree of Allah. She should believe that Allah is the best of judges. He's Al-Hakim, the All-Wise. Whatever He decreed is for the goodness. So, a sister may not travel by herself, let alone live abroad. And what do you know about going abroad and living among the non-Muslims and the fitna that you will see? And no one can come and purify himself. We have to understand something. Some people say, Ma'alish Akhi, I can go live in, in Britain. Uh, my, I'm, mashallah, knowledgeable. My Iman is Mia Mia. I've been Muslim for two years and I'm ready to go. Say, who are you? Who are you? 
Who told you that you can, you can praise yourself like this? Allah says, وَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not praise yourselves. Who are you to say that you... Who, who, how do you know? That as soon as you get there, as soon as you get down from the airplane, you will wipe, you will throw away Islam. You will throw it away in the trash. Because it's Allah who keeps you, keeps you protected. When you disobey Him, you are leaving the boundaries of protection. You are leaving the boundaries of protection. Allah says, فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَمْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةِ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let those who oppose the messenger be careful, be aware that they may be afflicted with a trial. Ibn Kathir said in his tafsir, الْفِتْنَةِ Maybe you become a kafir, maybe a bid'ah, maybe shirk. You may lose Islam altogether by disobeying the messenger sallallahu So when he said do not travel, that means do not travel. Now they tell you, a mahram will drop me off, a mahram will pick me up. How many times have the plane not made it to the other destination? And landed in another country, and it took him three days to take back. What are you going to do in the hotel by yourself? What are you going to do if some man kick and you go to, you wind up going to Colombia, Cuba, some country where there's crime all over, huh? And you stay in some lousy hotel, and some man just kick in the door. You're wearing your hijab sitting at your room. What are you going to do, sister? Wallah, you'll be in trouble. Had you had your brother with you, your father with you, your husband with you, no one would play with you. They know there's a man. So this is, this is, this is reality that sisters must understand. Our, our submission to Allah means we follow. إِنَّمَا كَانَ قَوْلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذَا دُعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ لِيَحْكُمَ بَيْنَهُمْ أَنْ يَقُولُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا وَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Verily the only statement of the believers when they are called to Allah and His Messenger to judge between them that they say we listen and we obey and those are the successful ones the scholars say meaning those who don't have that are not the successful ones so how, you, how do you want to go to Jannah when you're not among the successful ones? The situation is serious. There are exceptions, necessity, you need a fatwa from a alim. Who says, sister, I think you are qualified to be able to leave because of your situation, you have no mahram, say your mother is dying, something along these lines. You need a mufti to give you an exception that's between you and him and Allah. But to open the door and say, wallah, the sisters, every time she thinks it's necessary, she can grab her stuff and leave, then this is a misconception. This is a misconception. Go on to seek knowledge, to have a degree or diploma in some worldly affair? A'udhu Billah. Do we sell the deen for the dunya? We don't do that. Go in there for what? Unless you have a reason to go medication or something, a woman should not go there. Not even a brother. Stay here. Yalla, I think they're going to kick us out very soon. So with that I will conclude inshaAllah. I hope that the message has been delivered. And uh, if I am a little excited, it's for your own benefit and my own benefit inshaAllah. So just accept it with an open welcome heart. I know that this is just your brother trying to, yani, uh, wishing the best for you inshaAllah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep my intentions uh, clean and, and pure to his sake. And uh, finally he says, Subhanakallah bihamdik, ashadu an la ilaha illa ant, astaghfiruka atubu ilayk.